We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It's Friday. We got Notre Dame game tomorrow, y'all. 2.30 p.m. on P Eastern on Peacock. Notre Dame takes on Central Michigan. The ninth-ranked 3-0 Notre Dame Fighting Irish take on the 1-1 Central Michigan Chippewas. In a game that we expect Notre Dame to go 4-0, I, I do expect that. This is not a very good Central Michigan team, and this is a pretty good Notre Dame team. So uh, the Irish are going to get their chance tomorrow to improve to 4-0 and set up a big top 10 matchup between Notre Dame and Ohio State next weekend. But before we get to the Central Michigan game, obviously it's Friday, and that means it is time for a Friday free-for-all. I am back, as you can see, in the uh, the IB headquarters in here in good old Granger, Indiana. Got home late last night, a little after midnight. It was a long, long day of travel, but uh, we are here because... It's Friday, man, and so I couldn't possibly miss a mailbag. So we're going to get rocking and rolling here today. Got a bunch of good questions start already. Go ahead and throw those questions in there. It's Friday free-for-all, so obviously we'll talk Notre Dame football. We'll talk Notre Dame recruiting. We could talk Notre Dame versus Central Michigan, whatever Notre Dame topics you want to discuss. We can talk college football questions. If you guys have some questions about games coming up this weekend, we can talk about that. And I saw a question uh, a little bit here about um, ranking some rappers. So we'll get into some of that stuff as well, too. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Some uh, some fun questions here today. And we'll go ahead and get rocking and rolling with Quinn Kibler. Quinn asks, is this the week we complete an outside go ball? Love your route breakdowns on the board, Brian. Sometimes it's hard to tell that on TV. Jump on the board, folks. Yes, definitely, definitely do that. What's interesting, Quinn, is you know you say you finally complete a goal ball, and I mean that, again, say that that's kind of the, the tone, and and I get I get it. What's interesting is they've only thrown two, and I thought that would something that would be a more of a part of what Notre Dame does. I don't know all the reasons why we haven't seen it. Uh, part of it is how teams have played Notre Dame, which we broke down yesterday, and we've broken down in past games. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time. Uh, breaking that down again but I I do think Quinn that that's something that needs to get more involved I I think there's several things they can do they need to obviously call it more I would like to see more taking more shots of one-on-ones outside Uh, I I would like to see the receivers have to do a better job getting off press and reroute by by reroutes by cornerbacks they haven't done a great job with that so there's a lot of things that have to get better. And then the other part of it, too, is, is Notre Dame's running the football really well right now uh, in, in a lot of different ways, and there's a lot of faith in the run game. 
And, and I, I got to say again, I was really impressed. I, I did not feel this way at first. When I first started breaking down the game, I, I looked at it and I was like, man, I just didn't love Jared Parker's game. But the more I broke it down, I had such respect for the patience that he showed sticking with the game plan, knowing it was going to open up some opportunities for big plays. You could just see it built in to some of the play calls like, hey, look, we're going to hammer them and hammer them and hammer them because it's going to open up some big, big play opportunities against a team that last year in 2022 did not give up a lot of big plays. And so to see see Notre Dame do that and look, the other part of it, too, which was interesting. You you talk about Notre Dame developing as a team you know one of the questions we had coming into the the Tennessee State or the uh, NC State game was would Notre Dame be able to to generate big plays you know we had seen the two 40-yard touchdown checks that were you know blown coverages against a not a very good team we saw a 50-yard run by Audrick Estime where he just kind of bulldozed some FCS linebackers, got hit at like three yards past the line, ran him over. You look at those and you're like, yeah, I don't know if those really project to the NC States and the Ohio States and the USC's and the Dukes and teams like that, the Clemson's. So just to look at last week's game and see those big plays happen against that NC State defense was a, an encouraging thing. I, I, I talked about this earlier in the week. Last year, NC State gave up four plays all year in 13 games of 40 yards or more. Four. That's it. Notre Dame did that on Saturday. I believe I believe, right? They had a 65 yard, an 80 yarder, a 65 yarder, a 45 yarder. And I I'm drawing a blank now. You had the 80 yarder by Aldrich Estime. You had the 65 yarder by uh Chris Tyree. Yeah, four. You had the 65 yarder by Chris Tyree, the 45 yarder by Tobias Merriweather, and then the 40 yarder from Holden Stace. I knew I was missing one. So they matched the season-long total from NC State from last year in one game. So what you saw was real, real good efficiency the first two weeks, big play stuff in the second or in the third game. Now they got to put it all together, right? And and then add a few more elements in, and the elements in are going to be some of those outside go shots. I think those are things they're going to need to be able to hit. Receivers got to play better. They've got to be willing to take those shots. I don't know if this is the game for that or not. I hope it is. But uh, I do think it's something that needs to get built into the system and, and built in relatively quickly because we know the quarterback can throw. We've seen that, right? We know that. It's now can the receivers make those plays and are they willing to call it? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Next question is from John A1. John asked, through three games, is the O-line better at pass pro or run blocking? Part two, between them, which requires the most improvement? It tends to vary from team to team. I've always felt, especially in the modern game, it used to be a little bit different, but in the modern game, I've gone back and forth on this. I, I really believe that that pass blocking nowadays is a little bit more challenging, especially uh, when um, um, when you look at just the intricacies of, of the type of pressures team pressures teams bring uh, they're they're going to just do so much more stuff now that I think pass blocking is, is a, it takes a little bit longer to kind of get going. Well, I think run blocking tends to be about a little bit about bully ball and those type of things. So I, I, I think pass blocking, depending on what you're, who you are and what you're doing can take a little bit more time to really get everybody on the same page. What is Notre Dame better at right now? I'd have to say right now, probably run blocking, but not by a ton. I think they're having issues with with the same things in both areas. They're having issues with sort of the inside twists, the slants, the linebackers coming, the double inside, you know, the cross dogs inside. They haven't had a ton of issues on the outside other than just Blake Fisher just getting beat a couple times. I mean, they've been able to handle that in the past game. But those issues inside are happening to them, hurting them in the run game and the pass game. And and a lot of the issues in the run game, I'll say issues, some of the, the short yardage situations in the run game really come down to the opponents just bringing more guys in the box and learning to block. That's really what was happening early against NC State is there just weren't enough bodies to block all those guys on top of the fact that they weren't getting a really good push early on. That changed pretty quickly. We saw that on the third drive of the game. They started getting a little bit of movement. And, and started to put a drive together, got a field goal. And then, of course, you come out of the break on the fourth uh, fourth possession of the game and you rip off an ADR touchdown where the running back doesn't get touched. So I'd say right now run blocking. They're ahead, a little ahead on the on run blocking. Got some super chats here. We got one from Rob Osgood. Rob says, hey, guys, in my opinion, this is a pay attention to detail game. Clean things up to get ready for next week. What is the top What is the top thing? you want to see cleaned up, Rob. This is a, a, a good timing for this question because it, it ties into what I just said and what I was just talking about in the previous question, which is there are things that I've had issues with the last two games, a lot of the inside stunts, a lot of the different run stunts and run blitzes that teams are throwing at Notre Dame. 
We've seen the guards miss guys, the center miss guys when they're they're doing these line games and second level stunts and pressures, and it's resulting in some negatives. We know Ohio State's going to bring that. That's who Jim Knowles is. I mean, he's definitely going to want to bring that. Notre Dame's going to have to have a plan for it. And they're going to have to get better at it and clean those things up. So I think just, you know, you mentioned the attention to detail thing, Rob. I, I think a big part of that in the run game is that right there. It's it's attention to detail. It's, you know, moving your feet at the snap, proper footwork at the snap, using your hands correctly, driving your feet through contact, good communication in the run game, you know, making sure that you guys are are, are on the same page as far as if there's twists and stunts and second level pressures, who's getting who. So I think there's just a lot of communication in, in, in the run game and, and, and pass pro on all, on the offensive line that needs to get cleaned up. That is not abnormal early in the season, to be honest with you. I mean, we saw last year's offensive line need some time to get going. This year's offensive line needed some time to get going. Uh, Georgia's offensive line clearly needs some time to get going as well. They, they have not exactly lit the world on fire. And their first two games, when when you look at the the Bulldogs and what they've done, the first two games running the football, uh, they went for um, 159 yards and only 5.3 yards per carry against Tennessee Martin. Then they went for 99 yards and only 3.5 yards per carry against uh, against Ball State, and they only gave up one sack so far. So it's it's not like there's a bunch of you know minuses in the sack game on there. And so you look at that and. You know, you look at Georgia through two games, they've rushed for – they're rushing for 129 yards per game. They've rushed for 258 yards so far on the season. That's not exactly, you know, lighting the world on fire. So, uh, Notre Dame is, hasn't lit the world on fire running the football either, although I would argue, and I'll, and I'll say this again, that Notre, I believe Notre Dame has played better run defense competition than what Georgia has has faced when you look at playing Navy, who's a, a, a was a pretty good – really good run defense last season – and then you look at uh, playing NC State. Those are the number three and number 11 rush defenses in college football last year. Ball State was 105th last season. So I, I would argue that Notre Dame is relative to the, the competition, is, has run the ball effectively. I, I still think there's a need for greater efficiency against the better competition. We didn't exactly see Notre Dame uh, this this past two weeks be or this past week especially but even against more against Tennessee State the efficiency was not great uh when you look at just the the what it should have been against a team like Tennessee State it really wasn't um it wasn't an ideal situation and then you look at kind of what Memphis did last night to to Navy and you got to ask yourself you know is Navy is Navy as good of a run defense as they were last year you know so far they haven't been that was actually a really good game by Navy last night I thought they battled with I thought they battled with uh, Memphis very well. But at the end of the day, you know, they gave up 190 rushing yards and gave up 191 to Notre Dame. And and so you look at it and say, hey, there, there's some good signs in there, but they've got to get better. But that's true for a lot of teams. Go look at Ohio State's rushing numbers. Go look at Alabama's rushing numbers. You know, there's a lot of teams that, that are going to need to kind of improve and, and get a lot better. And Notre Dame's like everybody else. But O-line is the big thing for me. Charlie Weiss's last belt loop with a super chat. Thank you, Charlie. I saw an interview with Sam Hartman that Sam said Jimmy Clausen gave him sound advice to stay level-headed with the Heisman talk and being quarterback in Notre Dame, that it will pass by you if you don't live in the moment. That's great advice by Jimmy Clausen. You know, look, the Heisman stuff will start. Don't worry about that. You can't control that. All you can control is your play on the field. 
And, uh, you know, I think, I think Jimmy is a un, in a unique position to, to talk about such a topic. And I've actually heard a lot of things in the last couple of years about, you know, about how Jimmy Clausen interacts and just some of the, the lessons he's learned that for what he went through that I, you know, sounds like he's made some, some changes in his life. And when it comes to those type of things, so I, I think that's great advice and, um, live in the moment, you know, and I, and I think part of the issue for Jimmy was he was the, the, you know, becoming an NFL guy and all that kind of stuff was always kind of so thrust upon him that he didn't get a chance to enjoy high school and enjoy college for just being in that moment. There was always that thought of what was going to come next. And so I can understand, uh, I could understand that, but I think it's very good advice. Very good advice. Here is a super chat from Tyler Evans. Who needs a bigger, who needs a win more in the backyard brawl and why? This is a good question. And can I say that I'm just happy that this series is back? Uh, I, I actually rather enjoy this series. And I, 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 I like that it's back. It makes too much sense for, we're t- for those who don't know, it's Pitt versus West Virginia. Who I think needs to win more to me, it's West Virginia for a couple reasons. One, they're at home. Number two, their coach is on the hot seat. Pat Narduzzi is not on the hot seat. You know, Coach Narduzzi, much as I dislike him, has done some good things at Pitt. I mean, I'd, I'd be shocked if he was on the hot seat at Pitt. You know, he won nine games last year, finished in the top 25, won 11 games the year before, finished number 13 overall, won the ACC. Uh, so I, you know, I think coach Narduzzi's done a nice job. Hasn't had a losing season since 2017 has twice played in the ACC championship game and, you know, has done some nice things at Pitt. So I, whereas Neil Brown, if Neil Brown loses this game at home and you look at what they got coming up on their schedule, so that would drop them to one and two, they've got Texas tech at home next week. That's no gimme at TCU at Houston both losable games home against Oklahoma state. It's going to be tough at UCF. It'll be a battle BYU at home at Oklahoma. I don't see that happening home against Cincinnati and at Baylor. I mean, literally West Virginia could lose every single game they play. I'm not saying they're going to, I'm just saying like, there's no gimmies on the schedule after Pitt. So they have a really challenging schedule. So if you're not able to beat Pitt and you fall to one and two and you haven't even got into conference play, in a year where the Big 12 looks like a pretty solid conference, guy could be out of a job. He he may not make it through the entire season. You need this game against Pitt, in my opinion, to, to get some momentum. And then if you can kind of go in next week and and beat Texas Tech at home, now all of a sudden you're three and one and you've you've got a much better shot of of going well, they'd have to go uh three and five the rest of the way. So home wins over Oklahoma State, BYU and Cincinnati, and you're in a bowl game. And uh, I think that's something that could maybe salvage his his career there. So I think big picture, I would argue that West Virginia needs to win more. I, I, th- I think Pitt, based on preseason expectations, the, the loss last week to Cincinnati was very disappointing. You know, it was a home loss. It was an, it was an out-of-conference game. It's a Cincinnati team faced with a new coaching staff, new quarterback, and they didn't play well. And they just got outplayed. You know, quarterback position struggled. Phil Dracovic struggled in the game. You know, his comments afterwards, you, you just you realize like he's hearing everything right now, and that's not a good sign. So I think short term, you could argue Pitt has more at stake because Pitt has higher expectations. And and when you look at Pitt's schedule, it it, it it's not easy either. And they got North Carolina at home next week. 
Then they're at Virginia Tech, home against Louisville, at Wake, at Notre Dame, home against Florida State, home against Syracuse, home against BC, at Duke. There's a lot more winnable games for Pitt on the schedule. But you start one and two, it's no gimme. They're going to beat North Carolina at home next week either. They could be in for a rough spot. But I, I think Coach Narduzzi is going to be able to much easier survive a, a down season than Neil Brown could. If Neil Brown has another down season, he's gone. So that would be the reason why I would uh, why I would go go do that one. Uh, Maltavius with a super chat. Thank you. Um, Maltavius says, Equinemia St. Brown rooting for Colorado if they match up against Notre Dame. I thought that was a really petty, uh, ridiculous response. I- I'm 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 really tired of the 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 talk about the hate for Colorado. I don't see that. There are people that don't like Colorado. Guess what? There's people like that about every program. We cover Notre Dame. I face that all the time. There's also a lot of people giving Colorado a lot of love. There's a lot of people supporting Colorado. So Colorado is like every other team. Some people love what they're doing. Some people hate what they're doing. It's just now, it's just like anytime somebody says something negative about Deion Sanders, oh, the hate, the hate, the hate. It's like, grow up, people, grow up. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, you know what I you know what I think of? Remember that scene from Rudy when Vince Vaughn's character uh, – kind of gets into it with Rudy and, and uh, Eric Parsegian, the guy playing Eric Parsegian goes, you, know, you just you just summed up your entire sorry career in one sentence. And to me, when Equinemius says something like that, it explains so much about his career at Notre Dame. It does. And I'll just leave it at that. But you know, he can root forever he wants, whoever he wants to root for, and I can choose to think it's childish and not care about what he, he does or says. But uh, I thought that was pretty ridiculous. But, like, I – Y'all know, I, I I want Colorado to be successful. I, I've said this before. Deion Sanders staying at Colorado as long as possible and having success is going to help Notre Dame because they're not going to battle for a lot of recruits. He's going to be taking guys from Florida. You know, he's going to be taking guys from Bama and Florida State and LSU and Georgia and teams like that. He's not going to be taking a lot of guys that are, would otherwise go to Notre Dame. And and to me, I've always said this: you spread that town around. That's good for the game. That's good for college football. Uh, Deion Sanders doesn't conduct himself in the way that I would as a coach because he and I are different people, but say whatever you want about Deion Sanders, how he acts is who he is. That's he's one of the most, that's just, that's Deion. That's Deion being Deion. He's, he's being genuine. I like that. I respect that. I just kind of get tired of the, we're just always creating drama, right? Like we're always, we're always getting to these petty little, like, Oh, the hate, the disrespect, like not everything is hate. I, some people don't like Colorado. They don't like Dion. So freaking what? There's people that don't like every coach in college football. But now every nowadays, and you know, we just get into this. Somebody says something critical about a program. Oh, the hate, the hate, the hate. Grow up. You know, grow up. It's people say it's sports, right? We're talking about freaking sports. And uh, you know, so I'll keep rooting for Colorado and others will keep not rooting for Colorado. That's that's what sports is all about. But I just thought Equinemius just showed his uh, his true colors a little bit with that one. And and let's be honest, we know what the media is doing, right? We know what the media is doing. They're hyping up Colorado, A, because it gets them clicks because it's a storyline. And B, the first time Colorado loses a game, if they get blown out, the first time a player gets arrested, the first time Coach Sanders says something that they can spin into being you know, controversial, the first time that you know something bad happens, it's pounce. Like just there, so it's it's what they always do with programs like this. We're gonna tear them up or build them up so we can tear them down when something goes wrong. 
and get clicks on it both ways, get views on it both ways. It's just, so they create narratives. That's what I hate about sports media nowadays. Well, it's actually what media in general is. They create narratives instead of just reporting on the news. It's a Colorado is a great story so far. This is one of the worst teams I've ever seen in my life a year ago. And they're two and oh now, and they've got wins over TCU, Nebraska. That's pretty, that's a, even just, that's a pretty good turnaround and they've been fun to watch. And, you know, so I, as a college football fan, I rather enjoy it. But I also, we're just seeing what makes me sick about the media, which is they take these things and they just turn them into something that they're not, create all these, this drama-filled storylines, and and then this is what we get, right? So I just I just get tired of it. Kevin Carter with the Super Chat. Thank you, Kevin. He says, ripping off the Band-Aid. Thank you for all of the tireless effort and giving us all of the up-to-date intel on every recruit, especially Gibby Lambert who we know Notre Dame is in a good status with, and there are no further updates. Yes, there are no further updates. I, I, like Notre Dame is in a great position. They'll remain in a great position. Just relax and let it play out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're stressed about buying tickets or doing some last-minute ticket hunting to college football games, concerts, comedy shows, your favorite activities, Game Time is the place for you. They take the stress out of buying tickets. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Forget planning months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball games, concerts, comedy shows, theaters, and more. The GameTime guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code IRISH for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code IRISH for $20 off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. That's gametime.co. Let's get some more questions here as we get back to it, everybody. Irish blooded, better offensive mind, Lincoln Riley or Ryan Day. Well, let me let me just say this because I talked about this last week. I think both of them are very good offensive minds. I do. I personally think. Lincoln Riley's the better offensive mind. I think Lincoln Riley's a little bit more creative in the past game. I think Lincoln Riley has, has been a coach that is more has been in his career more committed to the run game, even as a head coach. Although I've argued in the past that the further he away he got from Bob Stoops, the less he ran the football and, and emphasized running the football. Even this year at USC, 
you know, they're, they're at 185 yards a game. They should be over 200 right now with who they're playing, but he still runs the football. They're still going for 185 yards a game. And, and, you know, I just, I've just felt it's a more balanced offense. It's a more creative offense. So if we're just talking offensive mind, I, I, think there's there's no doubt that it's Lincoln Riley and so you're looking at two really good offensive minds I think Lincoln Riley has also shown more of a willingness in his career and and this is this is I haven't done a statistical analysis of this it's been more of a gut reaction and I'll just look it up here real quick look at it last year I've always felt Lincoln Riley was always more is always seemed more willing to be aggressive in the past game too to be more vertical where I've always felt Ryan Day was a little bit more middle to to intermediate type of guy i've never i've never completely loved what ryan day does offensively if i'm going to be honest with you i've always felt that that part of his success again i think he's a very good offensive mind but i I think a chunk of his success also has to do with the fact that if we're being honest he's a guy that has had way better players than the people around him that's somewhat true of lincoln riley as well but I've always thought that the success was driven more by that talent. Whereas, you know, you look at some of the things that Lincoln Riley did at Oklahoma. And I mean, it just, to me, it was a little bit more impressive than what we saw from Ohio state. So looking last year, Lincoln Riley, you look at the deep balls, Caleb Williams last year threw 86 deep balls, 20 yards or more, according to pro football focus, 115 mediums. So that is what hundred, 201 passes. And that's out of 502 attempts. So look at Ohio State, what they did last year. They had 61, uh, Caleb Stroud, I should say, had 61 deep balls, uh, 116 medium. So that's 176 out of 390 attempts. So if you look at it, USC attacks down the field a lot more frequently than Ohio State. But if you look at the, at the, um, the rate in which they do it, Ohio State actually does it at a higher degree. I, I would be willing to to be to, to also want to look into a little bit of a further study and to find out kind of what the success, what the type of deep balls were. Because I know a lot of the twenty yarders for Ohio State are like the deep overs and things like that, not necessarily deep deep shots. So to me, there's a difference between a twenty a twenty yard comeback and a fifty yard bomb. So I'd be I'd be curious to see kind of kind of how that how that builds up and how that would match up in the end. But this has kind of always been my impression of the two, but they're both very good offensive minds. Pete Weber, the super chat. What was the phone call about? That's, um, that's, uh, that's going to be a little bit of a, a private deal right there, buddy. But, uh, things are getting interesting in South Bend. I'll just, uh, leave from a recruiting standpoint. We'll just, we'll just leave it at that. That's all I can do. Normally when, I've got someone on the show with me and I can answer those calls and that person can take it over. But today guys, you just stuck with me. So I apologize about that, but uh, yeah, interesting stuff, man. Jacob Saylor with a super chat. Thank you, Jacob. Just curious, given their name's offensive style, will there be much translation to how Michigan beat Ohio state or are the styles too different to do what Michigan did? They're not really the same. Uh, their Notre Dame likes to run the ball, set up the pass, Michigan likes to run the ball, set up the pass, but how they do it is very different. Notre Dame is more spread and how they do things with their their principles. Michigan is more pro style with their principles. I think Notre Dame has some pro style stuff, but you know, their their pass concepts are different, their run concepts are different. I think ph- philosophically, they both want to be built around the trenches, but I I don't know that they get there the same way. And um so I mean, I, I hope so, Jacob. 
I, I hope so. I think Notre Dame can have similar success that that Michigan did. I do think that if they play their A game. But I, you know, look, I'll say this. Here's one concern I have. I don't know that Notre Dame's guard play and interior play this year in week five or game five is going to be as good as what Michigan's was the last two years when they played late in the season. That that's my biggest concern. If I'm if I'm if uh, that concern is alleviated in that game, then I think Notre Dame's got a really good chance to be to 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 have a similar game plan where they run the ball, they take their shots down the field, and they're able to really gash Michigan or gash Ohio State in in both areas. I could that would be very good to see. I just don't know that right now with what we've seen through three games, if Notre Dame is there yet, but that's what they're going to need to do. That doesn't mean Notre Dame can't beat Ohio State. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying to beat them the way that Michigan beat them, where basically they just ran it down Ohio State's throat. I mean, that's really what they did the last two years. I mean, last year against Ohio State, they ran for 252 yards and averaged 7.2 yards per, per, per carry. The year before against Ohio State, they ran for 297 yards and 7.2 yards per carry. I mean, they've absolutely destroyed Ohio State up front the last two years. Can Notre Dame do that? I don't know. Because, look, we, we saw Notre Dame go against Ohio State, and what Notre Dame's offense did in that matchup was not that. It was the exact opposite of that. You know, Notre Dame only ran for 76 yards last year, 2.5 per carry. It was, it was not uh, that kind of performance. So they've got to prove they can do it, and so far they haven't. And I, I think a big part of it is just they've got a Michigan's got pretty good guard play, really good guard play. And Notre Dame guard play last year was solid, but you didn't have Jarrett Patterson in the opener. And uh, it just, you know, Zeke Crow still finding his way is, you know, getting in the starting lineup at center. Could Notre Dame have had more success running the ball on Ohio State later in the year? Yeah, I believe so. Would it have looked like what Michigan did? No, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's possible. We saw him do it to Clemson. So it, it's possible, but I just I I need to see it against Ohio State first before I'm ready to say that uh, they can do it. But big picture, philosophically, Jacob, it, it could be similar, but the way they go about it, it's very different. Uh, Super chat from Rally Q. Thank you. We all love the Marcus Freeman hire, but we also know he was green as a head coach. Are you impressed at his growth between his first and second season, or is it this where you expected him to be? Um, I am impressed with the adjustments and evolution. I think those two things can both be true, uh, Rally Q. I don't. I don't think it's like a. Well, this is where I expected him to be, so I'm not impressed. I, I expected him to be there because I am impressed with him as a football coach, as a leader, as a man. I'm impressed with his ability, which is why my expectations for immediate growth were a little higher. I was actually disappointed in what he did in year one, to be completely honest with you, because of what we saw against Marshall, but even more so against Stanford. But look what he did coming out of that. I mean, he grew up in a hurry as a football coach. Notre Dame wins six of their last seven. They've now won nine of their last 10. They've won four in a row. Be five this weekend, we anticipate. So I honestly am not surprised at all that we're seeing this team make a jump under Marcus Freeman. I think he learned a lot from his first season. I think he learned a lot during his first season that he that he started to utilize during that season. It didn't even get to where like you got to the off season and he had to look back and say, gee, what have I done wrong? What did I need to do better? What kind of adjustments can we make? He started to do some right away. And I mean, right in season. And we saw Notre Dame bounce back from that Stanford loss. It kind of, 
I'd say offensively really impressively that next week against UNLV, but just as a team coming out of that, just kind of thumping teams, you know, come coming out of that loss showed me a lot. And so I fully expected this team to be that way, but I'm also not getting too far ahead of myself because when you're the head football coach in Notre Dame, I don't care if you're in year two and you're 37, or if you're in year 20 and you're 60, you're supposed to be Navy. You're supposed to be Tennessee State. You're supposed to beat NC State, if we're being honest about it. This is Notre Dame. The the games that are going to truly dis- determine the how good of a job Marcus Freeman has done is doing this year are still on the schedule. But from what we've seen so far, very impressed. But so yeah, I can be impressed with it, but also say that this is also where I expect him to be because the expectation came from the high opinion that I have of him. And I don't think it's normal for every second year coach to have that kind of success. I mean, if you look at Dabo, what he did at Clemson, I mean, it took Dabo a little while to get Clemson rolling. Right. And he's 53 now. So when he took over in 2007, what is that? Six, that's 16 years. So he was about the same age as Marcus Freeman. And, you know, his first year, they, uh, he took over in the middle of a season, they went four and three in 2008 that next year they went nine and five. And then the next year after that, 2010, they went, uh, went six and seven. So it really wasn't until year, until year, what, four, they started to show some growth. And then that year ended with an embarrassing bowl loss. If you all remember, they lost, um, they lost three, three of their last four, four of their last five. They climbed up all the way to number six that year. Had some good wins, beat Auburn, beat Florida State, beat Virginia Tech. Then they lost to Georgia Tech by 14. They lost NC State by 24. They lost to South Carolina by 21. And then they won the ACC title, got blown out by West Virginia in the Orange Bowl. I believe that was a Geno Smith team. And then, uh, of course, the next year came out. And I think the next year, uh, 2012, which was was year five under Dabo, I think that was the year, in my opinion, that they really turned the corner as a program. Because he inherited a decent team. I mean, look – the the two three years before under Tommy Bowden they went eight and four eight and five and eight nine and four uh, they they went uh, you know Dabo's first year uh, they went uh, four and three excuse me hold on a second me four and three so they went seven and six on the season you know and they were just kind of that team for a while it wasn't really until 2012 they started to turn the corners so that's, I was having this conversation with somebody recently. And they were talking about – so let me – before I get too far ahead of that. So Dabo, same age as Marcus Freeman, he, you know, never been a head coach before. It took him a while to really take the program to the to, to another level. We've got to see if Marcus Freeman can do that. But if he is going to be – if he's if this team continues to do what they've been doing, then he'll have a chance to be ahead of that. But there's a lot of football still to be played. But but I was having this discussion somebody the other day, and they said, hey, you know, Dabo only won because he had two generational quarterbacks. And I said, let's pump the brakes on that that slander a little bit. I understand some people don't like Dabo, and that's what's funny when people are like, oh, people hate on Deion Sanders. I don't know a coach in college football right now that gets more hate from people outside that program than Dabo does. And that's been that that's been true for years. So people always like to pick and choose guys they hit for hate for whatever reasons. But I, I don't I've never felt that that Taj Boyd gets enough credit for his role and and turning that program around because to me it's not Deshaun led to Trevor it's Taj led to Deshaun which then led to Trevor because Clemson had back-to-back top 10 seasons when they went 11 and 2 both year before Deshaun even showed up on campus 
in in 2012 they went 11 and two, lost a lost to Florida State and then lost to Steve Spurrier South Carolina team that year. They beat Auburn in at the beginning of the season, and then they went to the Chick Fil A Bowl, beat LSU uh, in 2012. This is a year after LSU played for the national championship against Alabama. And LSU was ranked number nine, and and uh, they went into the Peach Bowl. Taj had one of the most big time money throws I've ever seen in a bowl game. In that LSU game, if you guys remember that one, but you know, year before LSU was twelve and zero and playing for a national championship, thirteen and zero and playing for a national championship. The next year, they go out. Uh, you know, they're ten and two, and they go out and get beat by Clemson in a bowl game. In in what was a, a heck of a ball game, and then you know. That year, their only two losses were at Florida and and a four-point loss to Alabama, who ultimately went on to win a championship. And then the next year, 2013, uh, they went out and went 11-2 again in 2013, also lost to Florida State, again lost to Steve Spurrier in South Carolina, beat number five Georgia to start the season. And then they beat Ohio State, Urban Meyer and Ohio State in 2013, the year before Ohio State went to win a championship. So the, the Clemson started to get there before – Deshaun Watson got there. And I think what Taj did set the stage for Deshaun to go to Clemson and get to that point. But again, that was year five. That was year five when they started that. If Marcus Freeman is able to build on what he's done so far this season, he'll he'll start to take that step in year two. Now that needs to still be proven. And they're not there yet. But with what my expectations are for this team, I, I think they're getting a lot closer to that. A super chat from Tristan Mize. Thank you, Tristan. Just want to say BD greater than BK. Thank you. Uh, jokes aside, glad your mom is well and back at home. Uh, can't wait to see how the rest of the year plays out. Need to see the D-line get after it this weekend. Go Irish. Tristan, it's not that we need to see the D-line get after it. We need to see the D-line be allowed to get after it. This is what I think is missing. And this, I'm not saying you're saying this. I'm saying a lot of criticism online about the D-line and the sacks and all that. And it's like, man, you know, you – you guys got to understand they can't get after the quarterback if they're not being turned loose in, in the way that they need to to really pressure the quarterback. And so, and, and also, if all you're coming at me with is sack numbers, then you're not you're not properly understanding what goes into being a good pass rusher. I think I've said this for years. I'm not saying pack, sacks aren't don't matter. I'm not saying pack, sacks aren't impactful. What I am saying, however, is too many people focus too much on sacks, and that's that's my issue. Is sacks, you know, sacks can have their role, but at the same time, th- as we saw with Howard Cross against Tennessee State, we've seen plenty of times. Sometimes a sack is good for the offense because it means the quarterback's not thrown off his back foot with someone in his face again picked off. So I, I think those things have to be factored in as well. And, and uh, you know, I look in two games, Riley Mills and Howard Cross have combined for or three games have combined for twelve pressures in three games. They've combined for four quarterback hits in three games. And when you when you look at that, when you consider Navy drop back and threw the ball, what, 13, 14 times, I believe. So uh, actually, let me let me go. Let me go look that look at that real quick. So I'm just going to go to to Navy real fast. Look at what the pro football focus has them down for total dropbacks in that game and uh, see what uh, see what they had. them. They had them down for seven dropbacks, seven total dropbacks. And so I think it was a couple more than that because there was a couple pressures. But, yeah, I mean, they didn't, they didn't drop back and throw the ball a whole ton, and Notre Dame, and Notre Dame still was able to go out there and, and have that kind of production from their interior. Now, those two guys don't have a lot of sacks. I think Riley has one. Uh, does Howard Cross even have a sack yet? 
Let me let me look at this real quick. Let me look at the sack numbers. Yeah, Riley Mills is the only interior guy in the normal rotation that has one. Donovan Hines has the other. So, uh, you know, but look at the opener against Navy, the Josh Burnham sack. It was a great play by Josh Burnham. But what happened right before Josh got the sack? Gabriel Rubio's pressure forced the quarterback to step up. Then Josh got the sack. Doesn't show up on the, on the stats for Gabriel Rubio. It shows up as a sack for Josh Burnham. But Gabriel Rubio played as much of a role in that sack as Josh Burnham did, and, and both made great plays. So to me, it, you know, consistent pressure is the key. And and but to get consistent pressure, you've got to be allowed to consistently pressure. And that's that's really what we just haven't seen as much of from Notre Dame so far this season. Just a quick heads up and asking you all for a little patience today. My voice is is kind of going a little bit, but uh, so I'm going to need to take some tea breaks here throughout the show. But uh, going to power through, going to keep powering through. Next question from John A1. Does Notre Dame have a bit of an issue developing the field and boundary receiver spots, or is it most of the players in the room fit the slot position better? I, I don't think either one of those things are necessarily true. Notre Dame's had a problem developing all receivers in recent seasons. It's gotten better the last two years. John, we're, we're three games in, man, and there haven't there haven't hasn't necessarily been a need for the outside guys. The part of the reason the inside guys are give, are doing so much is because of teams are overplaying the outside guys. You say, well, you know, Tobias Merriweather got his big play from the slot. Well, did Tobias Merriweather get developed more to play the slot than he has outside? I don't think that's necessarily how it works. So I just think some guys are better fits at positions. I, I've said this all along, and and I hope that Jaden continues to prove me wrong. But I just have always felt Jaden Thomas is better inside. I think his size, his game, his skill set suits better to the slot. But you can't put him inside because he just doesn't fit there. And then you look at it beyond that. It's like, well, who are the other guys, John? There's, there, there just aren't a lot of guys outside guys. So I wouldn't say it's a developing problem. I say it's been a recruiting problem from the previous staff, but I think there's plenty of talent out there. Obviously it's a lot of it's young. We've got Tobias, you've got Rico Flores, you've got Braylon James. They, they need Deion Colsey to step up a little bit and, and, and continue to make, be productive like he was in the opener. But I think they're going to be fine. I mean, a lot of the reason stuff isn't getting thrown inside, honestly, guys, is because the outside stuff is just being presented more. I I just think that's the case. And so I, I, I know that we like to, like, take small sample sizes and, like, project them into these big, meaningful takeaways and things like that. And that's what sports media's turned into. But I would just say – Go look at football. It's always an evolution. Your team is always an evolution. Teams do certain things early, and so you do things to counter it. Then teams react to that, and then you've got to react back to that. You know, and and I think that's a lot of what we're seeing from the offensive line, or from the excuse me, from the wide receivers is a unit that right now some guys are making transition to new new spots. Young guys stepping into a lineup for the first time. The way defenses are are playing them, there's just been a lot of opportunities. You ask yourself, why do they keep getting so many guys open over the middle of the field to even be able to do those type of things? Well, where's the defense? They're coming inside to stop the box, and then they're playing deep to take away the deep ball. Well, guess what? That's going to open up. Seam routes to the tight end, in routes to the receivers, quick post routes to your slot receiver. That's why those things are coming open. It's because how teams are playing them. If teams start to adjust and play them differently, then that's going to open up other opportunities for them to go have success. And 
then Notre Dame needs to counter. And that's when we'll learn, I think, a little bit more about the outside receivers at that point in time, John. John also asked, going back to the Syracuse game, Deion Colsey has been more impressive playing in the outside spots, and Thomas doesn't seem to thrive as well outside. Should Notre Dame review its personnel groups at wide receiver? Well, the question for that, John, is who do you take out of the slot if you're going to do that? If you're going to move Jaden Thomas back inside, which I think is his best position. So, like, I'm sympathetic to the question you're bringing up because I think Jaden Thomas is better inside than he is outside. Who are you taking off the field? Because right now, Jaden Thomas is your most experienced and veteran guy at receiver. You're going to need him on the field. So then if you move him to slot and he's playing a lot of your slot snaps, do you not play Chris Tyree a whole lot? Do you not play Jaden Greathouse? Do you move Jaden Greathouse outside? Actually, I would consider the latter. To me, it's not so much moving Jaden around or moving Jaden to slot. It's moving Jaden Thomas around more. Let him play multiple spots is what I would like to see. And then Dion's got to, to me, get more chances outside. I'd like to see Jaden Greathouse get more chances outside. I, I don't I don't know why Dion's not playing more. Uh, we're not at practice. I know that he wasn't overly impressive in the practices we saw, but then he comes out against Navy and he plays well. And as I said at the time, we just have to kind of, and Notre Dame has to do this as well, sometimes you have to come to grips with the fact that some guys just don't practice well. And you've got to you've got to give them more chances to prove that hey you know like I know and I know some coaches hate this they hate the term gamer, well it you may hate it all you want I didn't like it as a coach but it's a reality some guys are just for whatever reason better on game days, and I don't know why that is, I can't I can't tell you you know what causes some guys to to be that way and I mean there's just a lot of things that I don't know, but I'm just telling you that's just what you see sometimes. And that's just, you. it's weird, but it's the truth. And Notre Dame's going to have to figure out kind of what to do about that because when 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 Dion plays, they're pretty good. I mean, like I, I, I've, I've had guys like this before. You know, I, I've had guys in, in during my career that you, I've, I've talked about this at, uh, at, when I was at Duquesne. I had a kid a wide receiver named Michael Warfield on my team in 2003. And he just was not a great practice player. Just wasn't. He just couldn't get time. I mean, he'd spend half the practice getting stretched out by the trainers. He just could not get loose. He was a good player in practice. You know, he, he, he was good, but I didn't see what coming from him, what he ended up being that year. And what he ended up being that year was a phenomenal wide receiver. You know, he went out that year had trying to remember, like the specifics, but I think it was like 51 catches for over 1,100 yards, 14 touchdowns in 11 games. You wouldn't have thought that he was that guy from watching practice. But when it came to games, we knew we had to give him the ball. It didn't really matter what he did in a week of practice because we knew on Saturday he was going to go make plays, and so we had to make sure we were game planning to get him the football. And that's just that's just the reality sometimes. Maybe Dion's that kind of guy. And if he is, at some point in time, the staff is going to have to say, hey, this is just who he is. We've got to figure out ways to use him. And then Dion either steps up or he doesn't. And then, you know, but so far, Dion Colsey, when he's played in games, has been pretty good. I I don't really know what else to say outside of that, because I think the staff, my, my big fear, John, is that when you're winning and you're winning impressively, sometimes you can get locked into, well, this is just what we're going to do. And I think of like the left guard position. I think of the receiver rotation. Don't wait till you lose to realize that you've got to adjust stuff and fix stuff. 
And that can make something, you know, like defensively, you've got to be able to look at some of the flaws and say, hey, look, yeah, this worked this week. But, man, if you project this against Ohio State or against USC, we're going to be in trouble if we leave those zones open like we did against NC State and then adjust. The problem is some coaches are not willing to do that. When things are working, they're, they're going to look at the numbers and they're going to say, well, this is the numbers and we're, we're only giving up this many points per game and we're only giving up this many yards per game. So clearly we're doing something right. And, you know, it's like, well, not really. You know, like it's working because you got way better players, but it doesn't work as well down the road. I'm not saying that's the true the truth for Notre Dame. I'm just making a point that, you know, there are things about the defense that need to be cleaned up. I'm not saying they're they're going to be terrible against other teams. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, like, there are things you need to be able to look at and say, in spite of the numbers, we still have to get better here, here, and here. You've got to be able to look at the offense and say, in spite of the numbers, yeah, we've scored 40 points in X amount of games, this, that, and the other. But that's kind of like, but you should be doing that. That's who you are. You're Notre Dame. You've got way better players. But are there areas that you still need to get better? Yes or no? The answer is clearly yes. And is it a personnel thing? Is it a rotation thing? Is it a schematic thing? Is it all of the, is it a preparation thing? Is it all of the above? And think of ways that you can, of how you can continue to get better. Cause that's what the best teams do, in my opinion. They don't go, well, we're five and oh, and we've won every game by 20 points. So let's just keep doing what we're doing. It's like, hey, we're five and oh, and we've won, we've won every game by 20 points. But looking back, we should have won every game by 30 points. Because we missed this opportunity, this opportunity, this opportunity, and then we're going to work to get better so next time we don't. And that's where Notre Dame needs to be. They may be there. I don't know. I'm not a practice. So I can't tell you that they're not there. I'm just telling you that that's where they need to be. And if they are, then they're going to continue to adjust and make some changes and, and all those type of things, and they'll be they'll be good to go, and they'll continue to get better. All right. So we've got uh, some question here. Um, Irish-blooded. With a question it says it's early in the season, but how would you rank the power five conferences best to worst so far? Well, best to worst so far. Uh, I mean, I think this one's kind of a, this is kind of an easy one to me so far. The best conference so far has been the PAC 12 and the worst conference so far has been the sec. So I, I mean, I, and I don't think that's really overly debatable to be completely honest with you. I don't, I don't think it's overly debatable. I mean, you just look at the non-conference records. Pac-12 is 6-3. and three. They've had some big wins. ACC is 4-3 and three against other Power 5 teams. Big 10 is 3-3. Three and three. Big 12 is 4-5, and five, and the SEC is 3-6. and six. That's exactly the ranking that I would give. Now, the, the Pac-12 has the best record, but I would argue that so far the ACC has the best wins in the non-conference slate. Like, look, what the Pac-12 done is, has done is really good, and, and – even in that record for the Pac-12, that six and three record, there's been some good losses in there. If if you can uh, subscribe uh, ascribe to such a thing, and I, and I do, for example, last week Arizona goes on the road against a pretty quality Mississippi State team, takes them to overtime, and you're like, yeah, that wasn't a good, that wasn't a good, that was it was a loss, and you want to win those games, but that was a heck of a ball game, and Arizona represented themselves very well, and you say, you know what, well, Cal. Cal should have beat Auburn. They should have beat Auburn, but they battled. They actually outplayed Auburn, I thought, to be completely honest with you. I thought they outplayed Auburn. You know, but then you look at the other wins. You know, you got Oregon sloppily beat Texas Tech and Utah sloppily beat Baylor. Those games should have happened. Those teams should have beat those teams. None of those are necessarily upsets. Utah beating Florida was an impressive win. But outside of that, it's Washington or, you know, Colorado beating TCU. That's a good win. 
But is TCU really going to be that good this year? Uh, Washington State beating Wisconsin's a, a good win. I predicted that to happen. They beat them last year. But then when you look at what the ACC has done, and that's, like I said, that's where the really big non-conference wins have happened. You look at Florida State beating, um, to me, Florida State beating LSU is better than anything anybody in the SEC has done, or excuse me, Pac-12 has done. And I would argue that this past, you know, that that Miami beating Texas A&M is every bit as big as any win that the Pac-12 has had. And then North Carolina beating South Carolina was was a pretty big win. So, uh, that's why I'd say I'd still give the Pac-12 the the W in the higher ranking because overall they're just having more success against the other Power Fives. But the ACC is number two for me because they've had more big wins, and the SEC has really struggled out of conference, which I absolutely love. And honestly, I'm curious what you all think, but I'm not surprised by it. I I, I predicted Alabama to beat Texas, but I'm not surprised that Texas beat Alabama. Uh, you know, I, I, I've said before, I love Alabama's talent. I've said this all offseason, but what have I been telling you guys for a for a very long time since this since this staff was put together? I did not like the staff that Nick Saban put together, especially on defense. I, I do not like Kevin Steele. I do not think he's a very good offensive co- defensive coordinator. I just I I just don't see it with him. And what was a big issue that they had? I mean, they had offensive issues against Texas for sure. But their defense turning guys loose and not getting after the quarterback the way that a team with that kind of talent should should be doing, that's a coaching problem in my opinion. And I just I'm not surprised by it. I had a feeling that we were going to see this. And um, I, LSU was overrated. We talked about that this offseason. They're still a good team. But they were overrated. Uh, Florida State should have been the team that was the favorite. North Carolina is a better team than South Carolina. I mean. The SEC, to me, is just not the conference people make them out to be. Tennessee isn't as good uh, as people think they are. Yeah, they're 2-0, but they're still living off hype. They looked sloppy against Austin P last week, and they didn't look that great against Virginia opener either, although that win looks a skosh better because Virginia beat JMU. But think about that. We're we're building up Virginia being a better win because they, they had a comeback home win over James Madison, who's in year two as an FBS program. It's not a great place to be. Thank <laughs> you.